So I think we'll do what I've been thinking with this series. We've been, we've been tracking through the trees for quite some time. Probably seems like we've been, been doing the trees almost as long as the coronavirus has been around. Um, but I got two more teachings. I want to do, do this week on the cross. Um, and then I want to do, next Sunday we'll do second Sunday. We'll do our home groups next Sunday. Uh, we'll, we'll do the online Zoom one, and then we'll do one in my backyard as well, too. So we'll do those two. And then we will finish up one last tree, which is the tree of life. And that will be kind of later there in September. And then at the very end of September, we'll do a review of all these different trees. And I have some ideas actually incorporating the trees of the park as a way to review. So we'll have some of those opportunities at the end of September. So this week, I want to talk about the tree of um, the tree that that Jesus is crucified on the cross. Um, in the New Testament, there are quite a few references. And has anybody kind of, as you've been reading the New Testament, seen the cross referred to as a tree or heard of the cross referred to as a tree? Mark, no. Brian, yeah. Yeah. Here and there. There are a few examples um, in the Bible of where the writers would refer to the cross as a tree. So the first one is in Acts 5.30. And you don't have to turn. I'm just going to write them up here. Um, Peter is... Peter is giving a speech to the Sanhedrin and he accuses the religious leaders. And as they're having this conversation, he says, you religious leaders are the ones who hung Jesus on a tree, right? Again, in Acts 10, 39, Peter and a man named Cornelius are having a conversation. um, And in their conversation, Uh, Again, they use this phrase that Jesus was hanging on a tree. They killed him by hanging him on a tree. Uh, In Acts 13.29, this time Paul um, is using this conversation. He's preaching in a place called Pisidian Antioch. And he says, they took him down from the tree and they laid him in the tomb. Um, And then there's one in Galatians 3.13. Again, Paul using this phrase, Paul says, and Paul's actually quoting an Old Testament verse, but he says, um, cursed is everyone who hangs from a tree. He's quoting from Deuteronomy 21. And then the last one, which we're going to talk about this morning, I should have left a little bit more room, but it's in 1 Peter, and it's 2.24, is is the reference that that they kind of use the tree. When we talk about trees, um, there's, there's two different words here that, that are, are in play. One is, I want to make sure I spell it right. One is this word staros, right, or storos. Now, when you would see this word, say again, you were a scholar and you opened up your Greek New Testament and you were reading out of the Greek, right, which would be one of the original languages. This word staros would or sto, sorry storos is is what we would think of as the cross word. Okay, so this is the one that is associated with that kind of upright stake. Um, it's the word that you're going to find all throughout the crucifixion narratives, 
right? So when they talk about the crucifixion of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, again, if you were to go back to that Greek language, this word storos right here would stand for cross. But then there's another word, and this word is called zulon. Kind of sounds like an alien planet somewhere. Zulon, right? And this, what are you, th are you thinking of Star Wars? Or Star Trek? Greek, yeah. Um, but it sounds like this alien planet. Now, this word is kind of a, a more generic word. This is, this is the word we're referring to in, in, in all these spots, this Zulon word. And this means, again, tree. It could mean just kind of wood in general. Um, it could be timber, lumber, um, a cross, a club. One point, I think, um, I think, is it Paul and Barnabas that are placed in the wooden stocks at one point? Um, and it, again, just kind of this, these wooden stocks. Um, it, this, this Zulon is just kind of more of a generic wood, tree, timber, lumber word. But again, it's the word that the writers choose to use here is this Zulon word. So those are the two words um, that, that, they're, that they're using. And it's interesting that when they're talking about Jesus being killed, right, Jesus hanging on a tree or Jesus um, being taken down from a tree, the writers go to use this word. I think, again, what the writers are trying to do here, what um, Luke is trying to do in Acts, what Paul is trying to do in Galatians, what Peter is trying to do in his letter, is they're really connecting the narrative from the garden. We've talked about this, right, from the tree in the garden, to the tree that Jesus hangs on, right? To the tree that we'll talk about in a couple weeks, Revelation. Again, the Bible can almost be seen as this, this movement from tree to tree to tree. So what I want to do this morning is, again, I want to go back to this Peter verse. So if you've got a Bible, this is going to be the one that we'll be in. Peter, 1 Peter 2, we're going to start in verse 18. And we're going to read, I think, to 24 or 25. I'm not sure. I think it's 25 we'll go to. So 1 Peter 2. Anybody got... Got it there and want to read a verse or two and we can just kind of go around and... We're starting at 22. We're starting at uh, 18, verse 18. So 218.
in sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. Um, Let's start with what I would call, what I kind of wrote in my notes, is, you guys ready for some serious artistic skill? Let's see if we can do it here. Oh, the ears. Where do the ears go? You know, the, the, the big elephant in this passage as we read it is, is what? Blue. Huh? Blue. It's blue. <laughs> the big elephant in this passage? Yeah, what's, what stands out? What's kind of like... Um, huh? The metaphoric elephant? Yeah, the metaphoric elephant. Suffering? There's suffering. There's another word at the beginning that starts with an S. Yeah, the slaves, right? Right? So you read this passage, and at least when I read this passage when I was kind of encountering it, is it's impossible to read this passage, and maybe you were reading this passage and maybe you're listening, you're like, man, it's, it's the Bible's endorsement of slavery, right? Like it's hard, it's hard to, like slaves, submit to your masters. Um, if they beat you and, and you, you know, if you do it for a good reason, you know, it's, it's commendable to you. It's impossible for me to read this passage without kind of looking at this slavery piece. So I want to deal with this for a second, just the slavery piece, and then I want to look at, at Jesus and the tree, kind of those, those things that are happening. Um, so the good old slavery elephant in the room. And again, this is, I would say this too, it's, we have to, we have to understand some of these things because oftentimes people will look at this and say, well, that's why I don't read the Bible, Right? The Bible is regressive, um, it's barbaric, it's oppressive, it endorses things like this. The Bible really has no place in our modern conversation, right? Because of passages like this. So we have to be willing to look at this, kind of learn from it, understand it, and then we can, we'll talk a little bit about Jesus. But I want to talk about slavery just for a second. Now, <clears throat> some estimates would put that in the Roman Empire, in Jesus' day, there was approximately 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire, right? Um, when we think about slavery, I would imagine if all of us were to kind of sit here and close our eyes and think about slavery, the image that would come to mind would be of, um, of, of really the barbaric and violent and horrific um, slavery of, the, of, of, our, of our personal American history, right? The slavery of the African-American people, of the blacks. So, um, Isan, Lucy's saying good morning to you. <laughs> you did? Bruce? Um, so there's, there is approximately about 60 million. And again, when we think about slavery in our time, um, when we think about slavery in our time, again, we kind of harken back to the African-American slavery 
Um, maybe you think about the, the, the way that um, hum, humans are trafficked or, or sex is trafficked across the world. But the Roman mindset for slavery was a little bit different, right? Rome was out to conquer the world. They wanted to take over the entire world. And there was no point, Rome thought, if you took over the world, if you conquered the entire world, that you would have to do all the work once you conquered it, right? So when you arrived in life, you would have people underneath you that would do menial tasks. You might have a doctor that was a slave. You might have a teacher that was a slave, right? You might have a cook that was a slave, a musician that was a slave, actors that were slaves, secretaries that were slaves. And again, you can think of kind of the, the, the lower level slave positions, the field workers or those sorts of people. But you would often have these people underneath you. And we think doctor, teacher, um, secretary, musician, actor, like those aren't the typical roles that we would associate with slavery. But that is the kind of slavery that, you could, that, that would happen in the Roman Empire because they would conquer the world and then they would just have people underneath them that would do the job. The bottom line with slavery, this is very important, the bottom line with slavery in the Roman Empire is that at the end of the day, you were you were just a thing. You're just a tool, right? Um, you were a piece of property. For example, this expo marker right here, right? This expo marker has a limited amount of ink in it. And when that ink runs out, what am I going to do with this expo marker? Throw it away, right? This is simply a tool that I write on the expo board with, and when it's done, I throw it away. It's just a tool, right? The Roman mindset was that slaves were simply tools, right? Um, they were living tools, but they were just a tool. You could think of a, a cow or an ox or a mule. Um, those, again, would be tools uh, in, in the ancient Near East. It just so happened that the slaves uh, could articulate and could speak. But they were no different in their mindset. It was just a thing. It was just a tool. They had no rights. They had no access to justice. Again, they could be doctors. They could be teachers, actors, cooks, whatever. But at the end of the day, this is what they were. A tool. Right? Now, into this conversation about slavery is where Christianity begins to make a real difference. Right. Looking back, we would have loved to see Christianity make the difference that would, would um, abolish slavery overnight. Right. If we could go back and, you know, had a magic wand or something like that, we would love to have slavery abolished overnight. But Christianity comes in here and begins to teach people that everybody's equal and that everybody has the image of God or the image of Christ living within them. This is no longer, oh, Esau, and you haven't even been here for like two minutes, and here comes my daughter asking for gum, huh? <laughs> Christianity begins to say, you're not just a tool. You have the image of God. You have the image of Christ residing within you. There is an interesting commentary I read this week, um, a guy named William Barclay, one of Brian's favorites. And Barclay notes in his commentary that there was a bishop, in the early Roman church, the guy's name was Callistus, right? One of the earliest bishops in Rome. He was a slave. When we think about bishop, when we think about that high office, when we think about th to arrive there, 
we're not thinking of somebody who would be a slave, right? So Callistus was a slave. And Barclay notes that it would probably be possible that a slave could be like the bishop or the pastor or the leader of a church, right? And that the kind of the aristocrat or the master or the person who owned the slave could be a member of the congregation, right? Um, I was thinking about this in a different realm. Imagine if, um, let's see here. Uh, Yeah, I don't know, whoever. Imagine, Molly, you just graduated from college and uh, Warren Buffett says, you young lady, you are going to be my personal intern. I am going to teach you the magical secrets of making billions um, through Berkshire Hathaway, right? And you kind of go and you start working alongside of him. But you have this passion and you kind of have this little side house church or you have this side church that you work at. And, and you as an intern, right? And the Buffett says, I want to come be a part of your church, right? So here you are, the intern as the pastor of this church. And Warren Buffett is just becomes like a member of your church, right? And we can kind of use like a modern day example of that. That would have been what it would have been like in the early church for a slave to be the bishop or the pastor or the leader of a church. And then the aristocrat, the master, the slave owner be a member of this church. So Christianity begins to kind of upend this slavery conversation, right? Sure, there are places where, um, where slavery is kind of talked about in, in some, some really kind of regressive or oppressive ways, but it just begins kind of opening some cracks in this door. One of the most beautiful passages in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and you don't have to turn there because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it in the message, which I think Eugene Peterson does a great job in the message unless you wanted to um, open your Bible and and swap it to the message. But Paul speaks about slavery in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It's one of the more beautiful passages, okay? Paul says says this. Um, Again, he's speaking to the church in Corinth, speaking to the people there. Stay where you were when God called your name. Were you a slave? Slavery is no roadblock to obeying and believing. I don't mean you're stuck and you can't leave. If you have a chance at freedom, go ahead and take it. I'm simply pointing out that under what Paul says, your new master, right? Capital M, your new master who would be Jesus. You're going to experience a marvelous freedom you never would have dreamed of. On the other hand, if you were free when Christ called you, right? So he's talking to slaves, now he's talking to the free person. If you were free when Christ called you, Um, you'll experience a delightful enslavement to God you would have never dreamed of. All of you, slave and free, were once held hostage in a sinful society. Then a huge sum was paid out for your ransom. So please don't, out of old habit, slip back into being or doing what everyone else tells you. Friends, stay where you were called to be. God is there. Hold the high ground with him at your side, right? So again, Paul speaks into this and there's a group of people who are slaves and Paul says, if you're a slave, that's fine because under Christ, you're going to experience a new freedom. And he speaks to the free people and he says, if you're free, that's fine because under Christ, you're going to experience a new slavery. He said, either side of the boat, you are under the new lordship of Jesus Christ under his under his ruling, 
right? So, now, just, just a couple thoughts on slavery, right? Just kind of the way that slavery worked in the Bible, um, in the New Testament, in the Roman Empire. There's plenty more we could say about that. But I want to talk about Jesus for a little bit. I want to talk about three simple movements. Jesus is our example, our redeemer, and is our shepherd. the beginning of school right now and I got two kids I got two kids who are learning their letters Jolene how do we teach kids our letters repeat 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 um, I'm sure we all remember or all familiar with um, something trying to think how I could do it with this. I can't really, I mean, obviously you could do, right? Have these, do you guys remember these at school, right? Where you'd have your letters and then you would come, I don't even know if this one works. You would come with your, your pencil. Oh, this one, this one's dead. And you would try and kind of write over it, right? You would, you would use your pencil and try, or it's kind of like that light gray color where, you know, you'd have that light gray and you'd write under, over it. Um, this is how you would learn your letters. Now, what I want you to do is I want you to think about the life of Jesus like those dotted letters or those gray, those kind of light gray letters that you're practicing your letters over A, B, C, right? Um, time and a time again, Jolene, repeat, repeat, repeat. You're trying to trace those letters, right? So that you would model your life after, so that you could, so that you could learn how to write those letters. Um, if you think about the life of Jesus like that, right, that repetition again and again and again, we are trying to trace our lives after Christ. Our goal, just like when we're learning our letters, is to make an exact duplicate. In First Peter two twenty one, if you're still there. In 1 Peter 2.21, Paul says, or Peter says this. He says, um, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. This word example that Paul uses, fascinating word here, which actually means, um, I think it means, I want to make sure I get there. It means writing under, right? Paul is simply kind of using almost this example of, of the letters, right? The kind of dotted lines or the like gray lines. And he's saying, that's what Christ's life is like for you and I, right? His life is this kind of underwriting that then you and I come back and we are trying to trace our lives over what Christ has already modeled and done, right? Now, what are we supposed to, uh, what's the example here? And this is not very popular because the example is what? Suffering, right? Paul says this, or Peter says this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example that you should follow in his steps. The example we are to follow is one of suffering. 
what happens um, when a person kind of comes to faith or comes to church and the reason they're coming to church is they're, they're just trying to make their life go on a little bit better, a little bit easier, less stressful. There's that one pithy phrase which just drives me absolutely crazy where, and you see it on coffee cups and you see it on, I don't know, different Pinterest sites and whatnot where it's just, I just need me a little coffee and some Jesus or something along those lines, right? And people think that they can approach Jesus in that way where it's just like, "Ah, I just need a little bit to make my life better, less stressful, less anxious. I just, you know, just make me. And the example that Christ gives us is one of suffering. On the flip side, what happens when a pastor is just focusing on how to make your life better? Right. Well, here's here's the the uh, the steps for financial freedom, or the pathway for the blessed life, or the anachronism for spiritual success. Right, and all that stuff. And we talk about these things. And if a pastor never really honestly says, you know, the example that you will write under that your life will will model is one. If we never do that as a pastor or as a church or as an organization or as a faith, if we never say, listen, you will suffer in this, right? Um, to me, the, the image here is saying, you know, again, Jesus gives us this underwriting, right? And we say, ah, Jesus, I don't like that. I don't think that's an A. I'm going to make it a two, right? And it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't work. And there's, there's that frustration that happens. I would say that Jesus calls us the writing under is one of suffering. And if you are suffering right now, which I think all of us at some level, at some point, at some sort of position, whether it's because of the coronavirus, whether it's because of the economy, or whether it's because of um, things that we're seeing going on in the world, if you're suffering at this point right now in your life, right, um, just just put, your, put, put some trust in Jesus, right? Jesus entrusts himself to the Father in the midst of this. And when you're suffering in the midst of this, you are actually closer to the, to the example of Christ. Sometimes we see the person who has it all, who has a good life and everything's good. And I don't think that's as close to the life of Christ and the example and the writing under of Christ as somebody who's going through suffering, right? Your life is closely in God's hands. Um, number two, the Redeemer. The Redeemer, Christ as our Redeemer. So this is First Peter four, uh, 2.24. And he says this, uh, Peter says this, Right, He himself um, bore our sins, his body on the tree, right, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. Um, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. When I see Christ on the cross, right, and Christ is suffering and he's wounded and he's pierced, and he's dying, and he's bearing our sins, he's doing that for you and I, right? He's doing that on, on, on our behalf. 
the image that came to mind this week was of of maybe a child or a dear friend who has a terminal illness or a cancer, right? One that would kill this person unless they get a transplant. And then you have somebody come in and say, I'll give you that organ, right? I'll give you that, that what you need for you to live on. I'll, I'll give you that transplant so that that person might live at the other person's expense, right? But for you to live, for you to take on that organ or that transplant, you would have to, you'd have to go under the knife. You'd have to do that surgery, right? You'd have to almost be put to death to have that replacement. Go back to this verse, right? 224. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross or on the tree so that, again, we are going to die, right? We are going to almost suffer unto death that we may live for righteousness. One of the kind of problems, I think, in the church, too, that, that we don't address as much is in the church, we have a lot of people who kind of, I would say they go through the death process. So what I mean by that is they, they say, yes, I want to say the prayer. I want to be um, a Christian. I want to die to my old self. I want to go get baptized in the water. I want to do all these things. But then they never take on the next step, which I think Peter talks about here, where he says that you might live for righteousness, right? That you might live for righteousness. Brian, the song you were singing this morning, uh, that lyric, it's evading. Yeah, we're clothed in his righteousness, right? And that we would, we would live into that, that righteousness. Um, when we talk about righteousness, again, there is that righteousness that we're clothed in righteousness. It's called positional I'll just do that R. And then I'm just going to talk about another one. The positional righteousness. When you do die, right, Christ covers you. He makes you new. He, he takes that old sinful life. He gives you that new heart. God sees you as perfect, free of sin, right? You're beautiful. You're no blemish. You're white as snow, right? But again, a lot of people get stuck here. And they don't then continue to work on this practical righteousness, which I think by that where Paul is saying that you and I would live and hunger and thirst and seek the righteousness, right? That we would hunger for the righteousness. This is what Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That it's practical, that it's something that they set in the very crosshairs of their life, that they want to be a righteous person, a person who is imitating their life after God, righteousness. Bruner in his commentary says, it's not enough that you simply want righteousness. All of us sitting here, like, yeah, I want some righteousness. I want to be a righteous person, right? Bruner says, unless we have a downright famine for it, right? Unless we are people who cannot believe they can live until they encounter or find that righteousness. That's the righteousness that Peter says we're to live for. Now, this righteousness, right, 
this righteousness that we have. Paul says that you will die to sin. You'll live for righteousness. The way that we get there, verse 25, the way that we get there is we need a shepherd, right? Verse 25. My brothers and sisters, you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, right? The shepherd and the overseers of your soul. We need somebody in front of us who leads us and guides us, right? Who says, this is the pathway. This is how I'm going to take you towards righteousness. And again, we put our trust in this shepherd and this leader and this overseer of our souls. We understand that he was a perfect example, right? Our whole life is spent trying to to basically write over the letters of Christ again and again and again and repeat and try and fail and attempt. But Christ gives us the writing under, and which is, which is the writing under of suffering, that he's redeemed us, that we live for righteousness, that he's our shepherd. I want to close just by, um, just by reading Psalm 23 and just kind of in a meditative way. So if you're, if you're sitting out there, just kind of find a comfortable place. Um, if you're in the internet, the Facebook land, um, just close your eyes, kind of put, put away the phones and electronics. I'm just going to read it slowly to us. The shepherd, this beautiful psalm, the most famous psalm, the shepherd of our soul, Psalm 23. And we'll just take a, a minute of, of quiet, and then I'll just read it to us. And we're really just going to allow the Spirit of God to be the shepherd to us, to speak to us in this moment. So take a minute and then I'll read the psalm. Lord, would you speak to my friends this morning as we once again engage this psalm? Would you shepherd and oversee our souls? Lord, we want to live for righteousness. We're not content just to sit here saved, forgiven, Christians. God, our goal is to live in all that we are for righteousness. So speak to us. God, open our ears and our hearts. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. 
God refreshes my soul. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Jesus, thank you. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you have been our shepherd. You lead us and you guide us. You're with us in our suffering, in our feeble attempts to write over the letters, in our failures. We want to live for you. We want to live with all of our beings for you. Give us the power, even in the moments when we're weakest. Thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. I do have a couple of discussion questions. You guys want to do a couple of discussion questions or quickly? quickly? Yeah. He's mouthing. Oh. Here's the questions. Just turn to the person next to you because it is. I saw a couple. I saw a couple of people like move and just you know the sun all of a sudden hits them and then it's like yep got to get out of this spot. Um, maybe there was something new that you learned or um, engaged about just kind of the way that that slavery would have worked. Um, and then the examples that I have here, or, or the, the example, or the redeemer, or the shepherd, um, which word resonated with you most and why? Maybe you were thinking about this example, or the redeemer, or living for righteousness, or the shepherd. Um, and as we kind of meditated there briefly on Psalm 23, was there a word that came to you? Was there a thought that came to you? Was there something that the Lord put on your heart? So something about slavery, um, something about these three words, or... I'll just put up, I'll put up here the slavery question, the three words, or the Psalm 23. And as Brian says, quickly. What was the three word for star? 
For star or cross? Um, Storos? Yeah, that's because Dad was preaching it. Not quite as hard as your, your pop-up, but um, you just get, get a little sweaty when that happens. Yeah, pop-up does have air conditioner. Well, and then, you know, the Bible almost kind of uses it as a, that we become slaves to Christ, as Paul says, you know what I mean? They almost kind of take what is so horrible and gross and bad, and then we end up, they end up using it as an example for the way that we love Christ. Actually, my son-in-law, his name is, like, if you translate his last name, slave to God. Oh, really? Abd, Abd means slave. Al-Masih, Jesus. Oh, slave to God. We have, we have Abdullah. Uh-huh. Abdullah. It could be, it could be Muslim or could be Christian, that name. And it says, the slave for God, but my, my, uh, my brother-in-law, his last name is slave for Jesus. How do you say that name? How is Abd. Last? Abd means slave. Yeah, but how, what's his last name? Abd al-Masih. Abd al-Masih. Yeah, Masih al Jesus. Yeah. Abd al-Masih. Oh, that's a beautiful last yeah. name. Isn't that beautiful? <laughs> but it is, spell it, it's, it's about maybe... 14 words. Oh, it is? <laughs> <laughs> so my, my sister just make it, you know, short. Yeah. Because you, when you write it yeah, down, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's too long. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, but when you said slave, I said, we, you know, to my, when I think about it, he did not create us slaves in any meaning. Mm-mm. Like all of us equal. I didn't bring my Bible or my journal today because I thought we made it. And now we're suffering. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's hard. 
All right, let's just do a couple quick thoughts from the, the wise men over, the three wise men over here. Well, four, Johnny, you're in there. You're one of the wise men. What were you guys talking about? Briefly, I was talking about sanctification. Okay. That little thing we did with the calf, and once you turn from your sin, kind of you look at your life, and at the end, it's Jesus. And kind of when I was when I turned from my sin and became saved, it wasn't like I gave up everything. Right. Smoke and drink, you know, and it's a slow process. And then the other word was the slavery. So there's plenty of sin, um, you know, right now. Slavery is a big issue, mm-hmm. but as a Christian, we can have we can hide our slavery to, like you say, any kind of sin, anger, or substance abuse, or looking at the wrong images on the computer. Mm-hmm. It's become a sin and hide it from everybody, but we could be a slave to it. And that's yeah. what it reminded me. Yeah. Is like that's the most important kind of slavery. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that. I mean. It might not be the most comfortable image for us to think about, the, the slave to Christ, but it really is a humbling image for us to think that we are really, we're slaves to Christ. That's, that's the life that we're called. Isan, you were saying about your cousin. Tell us about your cousin. No, my brother-in-law. Your brother-in-law. My brother-in-law, his last name is the slave, slave for Jesus. Jesus' slave. Abd means slave, al-Masih means Jesus, Abdul Masih, like he is a slave for Jesus, that's the last name. It, it would be spelled, let's spell it real quick so that people can see it. So, ab, this word here would be slave, and then of, of Christ, right? Yeah. 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 And Abdullah could be like for a Muslim or a Christian in Egypt. Yeah. But Abdul Masih, that's that's the uh, um, Christian name for sure. Is it the same spelling? A B D E L L A? Abdullah? Yeah. It's not Abdullah, it's Abdullah. 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 I don't know how they 